As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. It's the post-trade deadline edition of the VanCast. J-Pat and Drancer and Tom, before we get into news of the day from the Vancouver Canucks, and I was told by somebody that they weren't going to do a whole lot here on the deadline, but uh, I suppose plans can and do change. We'll jump into that in a sec, but... I want to welcome H&I Roofing to the VanCast. What a great company to partner with. Awesome. Gurdjieff, yeah, Gurdjieff reached out when 1040 went down. We talked about uh, Steamworks as well. And now to have two local companies behind the VanCast is absolutely phenomenal. H&I Roofing, a family-owned and operated company, been around since 1986. So two generations working in the business. These guys service the Lower Mainland. They say, hey, it, wherever you are, they'll come find you. From the Sunshine Coast all the way to Calgary, everywhere in between. They are members of the Better Business Bureau. Don't subcontract any of their workout. All of their crew guys are full-time employees paid hourly. So again, you've got options out there if you're looking to re-roof or you need some roofing work done. And all we say is, H&I supporting us, so we certainly ask that you consider them ahead of any roofing needs that you may have. So give Gurdjieff a call, uh, talk about your roofing needs, 604-838-2890, or check them out online. The website is hiroofing, like highroofing.ca. All right, let's get to it, uh, the Canucks. Not one, not two, three separate deals, although two of them with the same team, the Chicago Blackhawks, and obviously the most notable uh, of the players dealt today, Adam Gaudet leaving town with a little shade thrown his way by the gentleman. Yeah, not a little. I would say not a little. I would say a fair bit <laughs> oh, of fair shade. Enough. Okay. Wanted a bigger role. Time for him to move on. Change of scenery. Expected more. Expect, yeah, yeah, right, right. Didn't step up this year. Um, Asked point blank if he expects his percentages to regress. You know, the one thing we'll miss, I guess, is his shot from the outside. Like, I thought that was pretty harsh, all told. Uh, you know, 
look, the optics on this, too, are that it looks like a vindictive trade, right? Like, the last time Adam Gaudet wore a Canucks logo on the ice, he was pulled off the ice having tested positive for COVID-19. A majority of his teammates and coaches then contract the virus. The team never gathers again before trading Adam Gaudet away for a, you know, unestablished bottom six forward in Matthew Highmore, who I have time for, but uh, more time than most having seen him in the bubble, which Jim Benning also specifically referenced, right? He was like, yeah, he was great in the bubble. And he was, I was there. I really liked him there too. Uh, But, you know, I don't think it's, I don't think it's anything but natural to draw a direct line there. And, and, you know, the organization will deny it, but that's, that is what it looks like, right? That's what it looks like to the industry. That's what it looks like to this marketplace. Um, So it goes. And you mentioned the bubble, you know, look, I, I think it was the beginning of the end for Godet last summer in the playoffs, where he only got into 10 of the 17 games when Travis Green would ever you know, shorten his bench. It was usually Godet, and we talked about that at length while we were doing all the pods when the Canucks were playing playoff hockey, that, you know, yes, on a depth chart, he might have been the third-line center, but based on ice time and usage and situations and everything else, there was no doubt uh, he was really part of the fourth line that when Travis Green wanted to pare down his numbers, whether they were behind and needing a goal or, you know, with a lead and trying to protect it, uh, it was Adam Gaudet usually who found himself not playing a lot in the third period. And then it was the offseason, this talk about sending him video of penalty killing assignments, and that was going to be a way that he was going to add to his role here and increase his ice time. And of course, that never happened. A part of that was faceoffs where he himself uh, just was never able to make much headway in that part of the game and one of the problems was he talked about needing to get stronger and yet in you know one of the probably his most candid moment as a Canuck he also revealed and he didn't have to he revealed that he had a digestive issue that was preventing him from putting on weight to get stronger and get more powerful and I think he finally got that under control and then COVID hit and so yeah, I mean, this year from, you know, he's a healthy scratch for four games at one point from a guy that, you know, 12 goals and 33 points and people, I think not just the general manager, I think the fan base expecting him to take a step and that clearly didn't happen. Although I did think he was better after the healthy scratch. Like, I think that the message kind of got sent to him there uh, and he was unlucky. I mean, the underlying numbers don't lie. He he probably should have been a little more productive uh, then the numbers indicate, but four goals and seven points in 33 games, a far cry from his production rate of a year ago. And so Adam Gaudet doesn't play here anymore. And in return, as you mentioned, uh, it's a project in Matthew Highmore. And I see some people drawing comparisons to Tyler Mott, who was once a Chicago Blackhawk as well, although uh, Highmore's 25 now and has never really, I mean, he's played half as many games in the NHL as Adam Gaudet. So uh, I think you put him in the, still in the, you know. It's, well, a mystery, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a mystery box, right? It's like, it's like. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say, put him in the prospect, but really it's more project. Totally. I don't know if he's a suspect necessarily, <laughs> but. It's like the mystery cool. box could be anything. It could even be an Adam Gaudet. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, the plains of Highmore, are we going to go there yet? I don't think so. But from the Sea of Grandlands to the plains of Highmore. Um, but the. I mean, Mott was 23 when he was acquired. Highmore has yeah. a better AHL scoring track record than Mott had when Mott was acquired, but Mott had done more at the collegiate level than Highmore had at, in the, at the junior level, uh, was more highly regarded overall. So, you know, I mean, whatever. Uh, look, are we going to do we, is every fringe, 
is every fringe bottom six hopeful, like hope bet that the Canucks ever place now a future Tyler Mott? Like, is that where we are? Like every power forward who they draft is is maybe Cam Neely until they're 35. Like, what are we? Is this is this the hole that we're falling into now? Um, you know, anyway, whatever the the Goddard trade feels like it's all about Goddard. And the market wasn't there for him. And that's sort of the big story for me is like, it's not like the Canucks were offered a pick. It's not like they preferred Highmore to, you know, a third round pick from another team. It's like those picks weren't on offer. So they found a bottom six player that their pro scouting department liked who was under contract beyond this year at a cheap clip for next season, right? Like that makes sense. It's a clever fit all told, but this is obviously more about Godet, more about finding him a new home, sending him on. And, you know, that that just sort of shines a spotlight on the fact that this is another asset who, had he been dealt at the deadline last year, you know, could have been probably central to a pretty big package. Um, if you dealt him in the offseason, I think he could have returned a really good player or draft pick. Instead, he ends up going for Matthew Highmore, you know, who whatever, right? Like Matthew Highmore, maybe he's maybe he figures it out in Vancouver. Maybe he gets more opportunity here. Again, I have a lot of time for the work rate, the speed. I've seen him play well in high leverage games. Um, You know, I I think there's I think he's a better defensive player right now than Godet is and not by a little bit. So there's some things to like there. But, you know, it's it's an inconsequential move in the big scheme, right? Like, is Highmore going to be playing more than 10 minutes a night when this Canucks team is contending for a Stanley Cup? The answer is almost surely no. And so, you know, this is more about Godet and and more about the asset management side and more about what happened to fracture a relationship between the player uh, and the organization uh, and that and the lingering questions about how deep exactly that goes. So, you know, this this was a Godet driven move. Uh, It's probably not a trade win for the Canucks, but, you know, at least Highmore is a clever fit considering what this club needs to accomplish going forward on the cheap depth file. I'm always curious about the execution of these deals. Like GMs are under a tight time crunch, obviously working to the trade deadline itself. So the Canucks and the Blackhawks get together, you know, relatively early on a day that didn't have a whole lot of activity. And then they circle back and they get the second deal done with Madison Bowie. And I'm just thinking like, could that not have all been rolled up into one bigger trade? Without the tr- without the trade down, maybe. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't just, know. it seemed curious that oh, it's the Canucks and the Blackhawks again. Like it's like they made their calls, <laughs> and then it was just like, yeah, sure, we'll do that as well. When like you know, it wasn't such a significant deal. Like to me, it could have been you know, you get Bowie and you get Highmore well, and you figure it all out. But anyways, it came down as two separate deals. I don't know this, but this is my guess for that, JPat. It's like it's like being like. You go to the bar and you order a beer and then you go back to the bar and you order a beer and the bartender says to you, why didn't you order two? Like, well, I didn't want to carry two beers. <laughs> I didn't want to be the idiot double fisting. Uh, the the Canucks probably make the Godet trade because they're looking to get off Godet, right? Then the Ben deal goes down under the wire, according to Kevin Cheveldayoff, right? Yeah. Goes down under the wire. And at that point, the Canucks have gained a draft pick, right? And lost a defenseman. So they're willing to do a trade down to net uh, another live body on their blue line for the rest of the season, right? Like, that's my guess on on why they're two separate deals. Like, the the Bowie deal is a reaction to the Ben deal, right? You don't make the the Bowie deal if you're keeping Jordy Ben. 
once they'd monetized Ben, they were willing to move on to Bowie. I suppose. And but, so that's my that's my guess on how that went down. But then you get the last call and you order four beers, right? Like <laughs> Yeah, well, for sure. But then but that's that's when all bets are off and you're like <laughs> and you're like, fuck it, fuck it. T- take everything I want, Anthony Mantha. <laughs> and that's when you make the Ponic trade. <laughs> <laughs> give me nah. Give me last call, baby. Give me all the steam works. Set last call. <laughs> now, look, we're guilty. We in the media, I think the fan base as well, of reading into the things that come out of Jim Benning's mouth. We did it on Friday after his press conference. We did it three weeks ago when he talked about needing two more years. I listened to him talk about Madison Bowie, and like he's talking about him already killing penalties for the Vancouver Canucks. Tom, this guy can't play, or he hasn't been able to play in the NHL regularly, and the GM is, like, pumping him up as a, a penalty killer. He talked about him having all the physical tools, the size and the strength, uh, a good skater. And, speed. and then he yep. said, a big, strong kid. He turns 26 next week. Like, he's moved past the kid territory. <laughs> he's going to be 26 <laughs> next week. There, there was... There was a moment where Jim Benning was discussing Adam Gaudet after that, where he was like, and plus, you know, he's 24. And I was like, yeah, he's in the 24 to 34 window. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I was like, oh, please say he's not young anymore. Please. Um, he didn't. But the, uh, but yeah, I mean, the thing about uh, Bowie is he is the epitome of like, looks like an NHL defenseman, right? Like, Skates like an NHL defenseman, moves like an NHL defenseman. Just, just the defense is not there. the The two way intelligence is not there, and hasn't been to this point in his career. Sometimes guys figure out that pattern recognition thing later. Uh, you know, I don't. I mean, I have time for Bowie as like a Jalen Chatfield upgrade, but let's be very clear that that's what he is. Now, the Canucks didn't have space to claim him off waivers when he was on waivers a couple weeks ago, right? Um, but the fact that he cleared waivers and is below the line is sort of a helpful thing here, right? Like he can probably play a vast majority of this hockey season just on, you know, COVID exemption or on emergency recall. Like he may never be on the Canucks 23 man roster and could play probably 10 games, right? Like that's sort of the weird situation the Canucks are in. The fact that he's not above the line is actually sort of a selling feature and, for me, anyway, the trade down from the fourth to the fifth round, like how much have I been talking on this podcast, j about how uncertain this draft class is, right? right? Yeah. Like mo- moving down 27 slots or whatever, 32 slots, but however it pans out um, in the draft order in the fourth round, like does not matter to me at all. You, 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 keep your, you keep your lottery ticket. That's fine. I still think there's going to be a player drafted in the sixth round or the late fifth round or the early fifth round who we look at, you know, 15 months later as being one of the top 30 players in the class without question. So, you know, for me, what's important is that the Canucks maintained an additional lottery ticket in this most uncertain draft class. Moving down 30, to me, that cost is effectively an essential. And in getting Bowie, they get a guy who works perfectly for them financially because he's below the line. He works perfectly for them in terms of expansion because he's an additional uh, protected slot uh, or sorry, he's an additional player who meets the exposure requirements. The Canucks need to protect a defenseman who meets exposure requirements. So, um, you know, I I think this makes a ton of sense for them in terms of giving them flexibility. Like now they can protect uh, Tyler Myers if they choose. Now they could potentially deal Nate Schmidt 
for example. Like you can now deal a player like Nate Schmidt um, and uh, protect a player like Tyler Myers or vice versa um, ahead of uh, ahead of the expansion draft. Like this opens up some options for the club in the lead up to the expansion draft. And as we know, the expansion drafts a really high leverage opportunity for this franchise. So, you know, I, I, the Bowie deal of the deals that the Canucks did is actually probably the one I like the most, frankly, uh, partly because I don't rate the trade down at all. And I think anything that enhances your f- positioning ahead of the expansion draft, especially for a team in the Canucks spot is well worth your time. I thought one other thing too, that Jim mentioned in his zoom availability, and it was kind of a throwaway line, but uh, he said, like, we weren't going to bring Jordy Ben back. And so they gave him this opportunity to go chase uh, a playoff run with the Winnipeg Jets. And, and the Jets need some help uh, on the back end, certainly. But, you know, I, I think that there was a case, perhaps at one point, to be made that you would resign Jordy Ben for the very reasons that you just mentioned with Madison Bowie about, like, I'm not sure that people fully grasp. Like, yes, teams have to, or teams will have the chance to protect players. But there are the requirements that the league set forth, just like the Vegas expansion draft. You have to expose players that are under contract as well, right? Like there is a threshold of players uh, that have to be exposed and available to Seattle. And that's where Bowie comes in. And that's where I thought maybe uh, before the trade deadline, you would resign Jordy Ben to a one-year deal and make him that guy. But clearly the Canucks said uh, they weren't going to resign Jordy Ben. Yep. And well, and and I like Ben. Like I like Ben more than Ben Hutton, who went for a higher price, because um, he can play both sides, and I think he's better a better fit for the playoffs. Although Hutton's puck moving is probably a better fit for exactly what the Maple Leafs do, right? Which is just like retain possession and attack teams vertically. But uh, but I think Jordy Ben's a really good fit for Winnipeg. I think if they have the stones to play him in the right spot, he could be really effective. You know, like right now they have what. Uh, Second pair, I mean, who's playing with Morrissey at the moment? Are they playing Morrissey Pionk or, Mor- or Morrissey DeMello? Anyway, I think they're playing Morrissey DeMello. I think, Form- but you could- I think Formert was in there too somewhere. I think he's- Yeah, f- right. But like, but like, if you play him on the right side, because you have to play Ben on the right side. Uh, we have, now have enough evidence to know that. Uh, but if you play him on the right side and play him with Josh Morrissey and play, you know, well, I, I guess you wouldn't want to do that because DeMello and Pionk are both RD. But, you know... Uh, you can figure out something. Maybe maybe he plays with Logan Stanley on a defense first third pair. But uh, I think I think Ben could be an interesting fit there. And and if they use him the right way and play him on the right side, I think he could. Especially playing playing him on the right side with a guy who can move the puck. Maybe it's like Ville Hanola. Maybe they give him. Maybe they give Hanola a shot on the third pair with Ben sort of playing uh, security blanket, playing the Quinn Hughes kind of role. Um, you know the the babysitter role with Hanola. Um, you know I think that could work for Winnipeg. Uh, look, it's a low cost acquisition. I'm surprised they didn't do more, but I, I like the fit for them, and uh, and I like the I like that the Canucks returned an additional piece of weaponry, even a even a relatively pedestrian one like that. That's useful, you know. Like those are the deals you have to make. The Canucks should have made more of them, and so uh, and so full credit. Uh, they move off of Ben, and they move off of his full salary too. And right then and there, J Pat, you've got. The prorated salary that covers your waiver claims for <laughs> for Boyd and VC. Um, the Canucks didn't go full out as sellers, obviously, at the deadline. Uh, but the logic of the moment they claimed VC and Boyd back to back in over a four day span, you knew that some money had to come out from elsewhere. 
Uh, Jordy Ben traded with no retention for a 2021 sixth round pick accomplished that too in a year in which cash is king from a Canucks perspective. So, I mean, in totality, and it's not a great total, but there was some activity. Uh, how do we, or how do you assess what the Canucks did? I know you said you wanted them to do more. <laughs> you, you wanted them to do more, but on Friday, yeah. on Friday, it certainly sounded like, honestly, I went into the weekend thinking once Pearson was off the board and listening to Jim sort of, you know, with the violin about what these guys have been through, like, I, I guess I had lowered my expectations entirely. Like, I, I, I didn't. Yeah, me too. So, you know, the fact that they did something, I guess, is it beats sitting on their hands and just saying, hey, this wasn't the year to make trades. Uh, again, this is an explosive stuff. There were bigger and better trades made around the National Hockey League. But, uh, you know, from my standpoint, it was a surprising uh, day of activity just because my my expectations had, had been lowered so much. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> It wasn't exactly a selling bonanza, but it was something. <laughs> it was something. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and, you know, pulling off a move that you'd expect from a successful seller at the trade deadline is now cause for celebration, right? And, you know, as we so often do, J-Pat, we have to fight against that tide, right? Like, it's absolutely necessary that we continue to raise that bar. Um, you know, this Canucks core group remains too good for us to celebrate the acquisition of a sixth round pick from an expiring contract, right? Like it, it absolutely, we, we must be restrained in, in overly praising the club for that, like commendable that they got work done considering the circumstances they found themselves in, especially vis-a-vis -vis COVID. But you know, the sum total has to be looked at as a series of moves that don't move the needle, Right. No draft pick of significant value was returned by the Canucks in, in their deadline moves. Um, the club didn't net a top prospect from their roster, right? The roster itself didn't get better. You wouldn't have expected them to try and make it better anyway uh, for this season or next. No cap space for next season. No additional cap space for next season was carved out, right? So the sum total is you know, just more sort of aimless wandering, right? From a club that you'd like to see have a little bit more direction. And there's a ton of context that also has to color our view of this, specifically the COVID situation. Benning admitted on Monday that there was a player he talked to about getting dealt and that player didn't want to deal with that considering his family and everything he's been through and Benning granted that and fair enough. You know, you, you can understand that um, there is a human element here Two, but, you know, as we break down the hockey team and what they accomplished here, it, you know, it was, they kind of rearranged some deck chairs, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and I think we have to be really scrupulous about noting that fairly and factually, even as we, you know, can call some of the moves clever and, and some of the moves interesting and some of the moves even vindictive, right? Like we can have a, a, a you know, panoply of different opinions about some of these moves uh, and and I think they'd all be fair but I think in some total it was a whole lot of a whole lot of action for very with very little accomplished and uh, and I think that's you know fundamentally what occurred for the Canucks at dead, trade deadline 2021 looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24 7 US based live customer service from discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night 
Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Uh, Jim Benning was asked about uh, when we'll see Matthew Highmore and Madison Bowie. And again, with quarantine and, you know, it's going to be a little while, uh, which brings us to what we learned since we last delivered a podcast. And that was the schedule from hell. Uh, you know, we, we knew it was going to be condensed if they played the 19 remaining. And the NHL has done the Canucks absolutely no favors. 19 games, 31 nights. Uh, they were delayed yesterday when they were supposed to get back to the rink. That didn't happen. 10 players skated today. They're supposed to play a game on Friday. And not just a game. Uh, a game against Connor McDavid. Oh, followed by a game against Austin Matthews the following night. Five in the first seven I need a nap just mentioning that, Tom. Like it, it, It's going to be wildly fascinating to see who's wearing a Canuck uniform on is Friday it, night. Is it? I think it's going to be grim. I think it's going to be really grim. And, and, you know, when the Canucks struggled early in the season, remember? They had that 18 and 32 stretch, and we did like a whole podcast where I was like, I didn't anticipate how brutal that would be. Yeah. Like I'd failed to anticipate how brutal that would be and how – awful the Canucks would look toward the end of it and now they're going to do something worse 19 and 31 on the heels of a respiratory ailment a respiratory outbreak that has impacted the vast majority of their roster many of whom are asymptomatic are symptomatic and Tanner Pearson indicated that not all of them have fully recovered when he discussed and and in pretty touching tones too the the experience that the club even a player who avoided testing positive through this uh, has endured over the past two weeks when he was discussing like families and you know people's like play your teammates your teammates wives their kids their pregnant wives right like boy did that hammer home the human toll of what the Canucks have endured over the past two weeks I thought Um, so now you're going to take that group of athletes and run them through an absolute meat grinder like we're not just talking about a back-to-back to to open it we're then talking about five and seven right (laughs) off the hop we're then talking about nine in 14, nine in 14 JPAT. Like the Habs look awful right now, having played eight and 12, like nine and 14, this team is going to get crushed, right? Like crushed. And I'm not being negative because I'm not the one who's going to be grinding them for like their lack of gumption and compete, you know, like that's not going to be me. I- I'm telling you right now, like there is a real risk that the Canucks are going to come out and get completely smacked around on the scoreboard and that it's going to be an absolute joke from a competitive integrity standpoint. And I just think that's completely unfair to do to this group of athletes having gone through what they've done. I I think it's like the NHL's plan, the, the greed of making sure that the broadcast money is all brought in the baffling, baffling acquiescence of the NHLPA. Um, just ridiculous. And then we're going to end up in all these dumb situations. Like we're going to end up with a mid-May weekend where the Canucks are playing the Calgary Flames in a zero stakes game on a Saturday night. And it'll preempt like a scintillating playoff matchup for hockey fans in Western Canada. It'll be like, it's hockey night in Canada. First up, Zdeno Chara 
plays game three of his first round series against his former team, the Boston Bruins. And in the late game, Mark Stone and the Vegas Golden Knights look to even up their series against uh, Kirill Kaprizov and the exciting Minnesota Wild. Most of Canada will see that game, but for viewers in Alberta and British Columbia, you'll watch the Flames and the Canucks play out the string (laughs) at, at half pace with zero hits thrown, right? It's just like, why? And like, even that, even that, J-Pat, is going to come at the cost of three divisions starting their playoffs materially earlier, right? So if you're the Maple Leafs or the Jets or the Edmonton Oilers and you're going to come through this Canadian division and compete eight games away from the Cup, you're you're surely going to, like, we're surely going to see a Leafs-Jets game six, game seven played on back-to-back nights. Just like we saw with the Canucks and the Vegas Golden Knights last year when that seventh game was like brutal, unwatchable, right? Like absolute trash, like not fair to the players or fans. You didn't enjoy scoreless and hockey for 54 minutes? Awful. But but it was, I'm, I'm happy with scoreless hockey. It was, that was bad. That was bad. Everyone knows it. Um, so, you know, I just, I just think it's unfair. I think it's roundly unfair. Like I think it's unfair for the Canucks players. I think it's going to be unfair for the other Canadian contenders. I think it's going to do nothing to service the product. And I will never understand why, for example, the Ottawa Senators and the Vancouver Canucks couldn't have got together, stacked their four games at the end of the year to be played only if they determined, you know, the playoff picture in any way materially. And in the event that they didn't, the league could have agreed to stop both of those seasons at 52 games and you offer the rights holders like a make good with a two and two home and away series played in like Victoria and Cowichan and, you know, Belleville and I don't know, somewhere else in central Ontario, a hull. And um, yeah, you play like those four games in the exhibition series before the 2021, 22 campaign is a make good to the rights holders, sell it as like a distinct product, you know, hammer out an agreement with the teams that, you know, three of, um, you know, Demko, Pedersen, Hughes, Horvat, and Miller have to play at least three of the four. You know what I'm like? Wh- why, why is no one being creative here? I, it just doesn't make sense to me. I think it's cruel. I think it's unusual. I think it's a travesty. Frank. Do you know, have, have you picked up anything uh, about the league giving the Canucks any special dispensation on uh, roster flexibility? Or I guess we're past the trade deadline now. So is, but why, why would they, why would they need it? Like, you can call up guys on the uh, using well, a COVID exemption slot so long as their salary is under a million dollars and those moves are cap neutral. The Canucks have used it a ton of times already. Um, so that's what they'll do. So it's like they're, they're going to be well over the cap um, and say like, you know, Nate Schmidt, right? Tested positive pretty late in the process. Jake Vertanen. Those guys will be non-rostered. They'll remain on the cap. But if you replace them with Ole Olevi and Mark Michaelis or... Tyler Grayevac, whichever one's on the taxi squad, that player will come up and be on the Canucks books without it impinging the cap. The league can't give special dispensation to circumvent the cap, though. Like, that's there's rules that provide for a full roster, and it's mainly the COVID exemption rule. All right. I've had a lot of people come at me and say, like, you know, DiPietro's got to play. And I'm saying, well, for DiPietro to play, he's got to be on the roster. And to this point, he hasn't been on the roster. And I'm not saying that Mike DiPietro right. won't play, although... Imagine that after a year without any game action, now you're going to throw him in behind a defense of guys that can't even get through two periods without like gasping for air. Uh, you know, is that necessarily fair to Mikey DiPietro? But uh, no, 
but he probably wants to play because he hasn't played anywhere yeah. in forever. So I, I just, those types of things, because I think a lot of people think that just because he's here, he can play, but being on the taxi squad, we know doesn't mean that you are one tap away. There is some roster manipulation that has to happen for you to get on the active roster. So I just, like waivers and things still apply. Uh, oh, well, but they won't if he's a COVID exemption. So if you're a COVID exemption, you can come up and down without requiring waivers and you never hit the cap. Um, so long as your salary is under a million dollars. So that's how the Canucks will flesh out their roster. Uh, one thing that's interesting, by the way, and I checked on this the other day because I quickly did the math, right? And when the schedule was announced on the 9th, I was like, well, the Canucks have to have AHL call-ups already here in quarantine, right? Because you need to quarantine from set for seven days if you've come up from Utica. Um, but, but the Canucks have not called up anyone from Utica. So those players won't be available for the 16th or the 17th anyway, that indicates to me that the Canucks have a pretty good sense that they're not going to need those extra bodies. Obviously, they did recall Brisebois. They did recall Arthur's Silovs, and, and Colin's Cole, already yeah, here. Right. So, so um, you know, those guys are up, uh, are here, and uh, obviously the club has some taxi squad guys that didn't test positive. There was only two positive tests among the taxi squad six. So, you know, there's some there's some options here. The Canucks are obviously you know, confident that they can ice an NHL roster, but it's not going to be the roster that we saw when the Canucks last played. And they're going to be in for a really tough test as players who aren't completely healthy. And and Tanner Pearson alluded to that too, right? He was like, you know, it's, it's tough enough when you're completely healthy and we don't know what the impact of this illness is going to be. And you can just tell from the way he was talking, like, you know, clearly some guys have been through some stuff, right? Clearly. Um, you could tell that there's a lot there. For him, as he considers the prospect of this schedule, I honestly think it's a, a real shame. Like, I, I really think it's, you know, I, I think it's unacceptable to the point of risking making a mockery of the competitive integrity of this season entirely. And I just don't think it's fair to put these players through that, especially in the event that it gets ugly in some of those games. Um, not just early on, but as fatigue wears on the club in the in the weeks ahead. Yeah, I mean, look, the the back-to-back to start isn't ideal, but it was the five and seven right out of the gate that jumped out at me. Uh, now, they're all... At- but when when have you saw seen a nine and 14? I'm not sure that I have, because... That's nuts. Right, and the bulk of those are at home. Like the, This thing, remember we talked about this seven-game road trip that was going to be a challenge. Like, they play a bunch right out of the gate at home, and that will, I guess, allow them to... Ease is my word, but there's nothing easy about it, but... This thing is back end loaded with the road, so that challenge is still going to exist. And by then, I mean they'll probably be wiped off the map. Like imagine having to go out on a lengthy road trip and sit in your hotel room when the games—not that the games mean a whole lot right now—but you know there's just going to be all sorts of challenges, physical and mental, uh, the rest oh. of the way here for the Vancouver Canucks. So it gets going. On I want to see. Friday. I want to see no one. I want to see no one be like unacceptable giveaway. When it happens in the third period, like I want to see none of that. It's just, but like, it's going to be so hard to assess these games. Like, and not, you're right, it is. You know, like we still have a job to do to talk about them, and the, the games drive storylines. And I'm with you. Like, if ever there was a time to sort of back off, but you know, we're not conditioned that way. So it's going to be wild to sort of see how that plays out from the media standpoint, from the fan base, even from the coaching perspective. Like, how does a coach legitimately assess? Uh, this group that he's got to work with and what they're being asked to do here. So we'll start to get some answers here. Do you just roll four lines no matter what? Like, yeah, whatever. 
right? Like that's, but, but that's the thing. Cause it's not just us who are conditioned this way too. It's the fans, right? Like you're going to see this, sh- you're going to see these games where the coaching staff is just like, everyone's playing 13 minutes. <laughs> everyone's playing 13 minutes. And it's like, Right after a goal against, like J, you know, the J Beagle Tyler Mott line comes over, and people are gonna be like, "This, this idiot doesn't know how to win." <laughs> <laughs> it's like, no, like that's the humane way to run your roster right now. Um, just, I, I honestly think, I, I, you know, I, a joke. I think it's a joke. I, I was, I saw that schedule, and I was just fuming, J Pat. I was just like, I can't believe this. Um, I just think, I just think it puts the welfare of Canucks players and staffers, the competitive integrity of competing for the Stanley cup on relatively equal footing and the quality of the NHL product, um, you know, in the back seat. And for me, that, that shouldn't be acceptable. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily with 24 seven us based live customer service from discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not preach you and your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Well, this is the way the week ahead shapes up. We're going to hear from, we heard from Tanner Pearson after his contract signing uh, earlier today on Monday. We're going to hear from a few players. At some point, we'll hear from Travis Green. Practice on Wednesday. They'll get a few practices in, and then they're playing Friday and Saturday. So we'll chart this week as it goes. I'm curious to hear from a few of the players. I'm not sure which ones will be offered up, but I would imagine that we'll hear from uh, a handful of key Vancouver Canucks and guys that have obviously been through the battle here with COVID over the past couple of weeks. So uh, on that level, it's going to be interesting at the very least to hear them in their own words, uh, recount what they've been through and sort of what their uh, readiness is. Because Tanner Pearson didn't sound like, he, you know, he he's back skating, but he's not going to be ready to play on Friday. But some of these guys that actually have to run this gauntlet, uh, we'll hear from a few of them, I'm sure, between now and the next time that you and I get together and record the next one of our three VanCast for the week here. Before we run, should mention that Scott Burnside and Pierre Lebrun recap the trade deadline on their two-man advantage edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. That's Wednesday here at The Athletic. Uh, we always ask you to check out our comments section for each podcast episode at The Athletic app. Rate and subscribe to the VanCast on Apple. And if you're not already a subscriber, go to theathletic.com slash VanCast. Receive a subscription for just $3.99 per month. And before we run again, uh, welcome and thank you to Gurjeet and the guys at H&I Roofing. If you're in the need for uh, anything to do with your roof, give them a call. 604-838-2890 or check them out online hiroofing.ca that is our trade deadline edition of the Vancaster Answer we'll uh, be back to do this again uh, midweek here let's go <laughs> 19 games 31 nights oh. <laughs> disaster man <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
What a what a joke. <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's, let's, leave it. <laughs> let's just leave it there then uh, for this edition of the VanCast. For Grant Search, J-Pat, thanks so much for listening. Uh, we'll talk to you again midweek here on the VanCast, the Athletic and the Athletic.com. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.